Well, hey, welcome to Venture Church, man. I'm so glad that you're here wherever you are today, wherever you're tuning in at one of our physical campuses or around the world with Church Online, man. I'm glad that you're here. Look, go ahead and grab a Bible. If you got one nearby, turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew, the first gospel. What's the first book of the New Testament? Matthew towards the the end of that book, chapter 23. Pull open the app, whatever you got to do so you can find the scripture. If you don't have anything nearby, we'll have it up on the screen for you. But man, I'm really excited about the word that that God has for us today. So we're just going to jump right in. All right, you ready? Here we go. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse one, it says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. All right, now let me pause right here and kind of give you a little bit of context about what's going on so we can kind of set the stage for where we're going in our time in in this chapter together. All right, it says that Jesus is speaking to the crowd, the kind of nondescript crowd is is what it says. And so it's a crowd much like today, right? We know that at different points in times in the ministry of Jesus you know, from upwards of 5,000, 10,000 people could be following Jesus. We don't know how many people are here today, but we know that this is a group of people that have different um, backgrounds. They, they have different social standings. They're in different stages of life, different levels of faith, or, or rather different places in their faith journey. And it says that Jesus starts talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says that, that these two groups of people, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. And what he's saying to this, this uh, Jewish culture is that, that they have authority. It's what he's saying, that they have authority. You see, in, in that time period, in that culture, not everybody had the ability to read. Not everybody had access to education, but the scribes and the Pharisees did. And they were well-trained. They were well-educated in the Old Testament scripture. And so they knew it front and back, right? And so what that meant, because they held all of the knowledge, they held all of the authority in that culture. Basically, if they said it, it went for the people. And so if you are going to be a good Jew, if you are going to to follow the right rules, you follow the rules of the scribes and the Pharisees. You listen to the scribes and the Pharisees. They kind of set the tone and they set the standard. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. Regardless of their authority, regardless of their influence, that's not going to stop Jesus from confronting these people. As we read through this chapter, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to go headfirst into a confrontation with these people, with their authority and with their influence. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I love this picture of Jesus. I really do. Because this isn't a picture of Jesus, this like confrontational Jesus. This isn't a picture of Jesus that, that I think we talk a whole lot about in church or talk enough about, I guess. Because I don't know about you, but like for me growing up in church, I kind of got sold a different picture of Jesus. Like the picture of Jesus I got sold was this like really quiet just incredibly soft-spoken, soft-lived man. Like a guy that just kind of like floated through life. He was never bothered by anything. Nobody ever bothered. His feathers never got ruffled. He never raised his voice. He never ruffled anybody else's feathers. He just kind of floated through, right? Like always happy and always having these positive exchanges with people. But when I read through the gospel, like that's not the picture of Jesus that's told to us. Like when we read through the life and the story of Jesus in the scripture, I mean, we see a man who is, who is bold. We see a man who is, who is passionate about his people, about his church, about his message. We see a man who, who is not afraid to lean into these difficult conversations and lean into the difficult confrontations. And, and not confrontation for the, for the sake of confrontation, but, but confrontation for the sake of challenging the things that point his people and the things that distract from the the life, the good life, the full life that the heavenly father has for us. So I think that's the message and that's, that's that's what Jesus has for us today is a confrontation, it's a challenge of 
of the, the status quo that so many of us have just kind of grown to accept, the lies, honestly, that so many of us have grown to accept, the challenge and a confrontation of, of a way of life that, that promises something that it cannot deliver. So let me show you. Let's keep reading together. Matthew 23, we'll pick back up verse 3. Jesus says, so do and observe whatever they tell you. This has always kind of been a theme in the teaching of Jesus, right? To obey the the people of authority. But he says, not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. He says, they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They put an an unbearable standard and an unbearable set of expectations on you. Like they're telling you, hey, if you want to live a good life, then you need to do this. In the same way that we scroll through social media, right? And we see all these people with authority. We see all these people with influence, which, by the way, just because somebody has influence doesn't mean that they should be influential in your life. You tracking with me on that? Just because somebody has authority doesn't mean they should influence the way in which you live your life. But it says that the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they've put this, this unbearable standard, these unmet expectations on them. I mean, if you want to live a good life, you need to look this way. You need to act this way. You need to date this kind of person. You need to do these things, right? And let's just be honest that most of the people that are trying to sell you that stuff, they're not living that either. That's what Jesus says about the scribes and the Pharisees. They're not living this either. They're not moving this way either, man. You're scrolling through social media. You're watching these people. Like They're, they're quite literally selling you their highlight reel of life. The standard and the expectations that you receive from them, it's it's not even real. Keep going with me. Verse 5, it says, They, the scribes and the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phallic trees broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They love to be seen. They love to be honored. They love that seat of honor. Man, look, if you're going to make it in life, you need to be seen. You need to stand out. You need to be different. And how dare they? How dare they at work? How dare they at school? How dare your family not see how special and different you are and not give you the praise that's due your name? That's what Jesus is getting at here, these lies that we've been sold. Skip down to verse 13. Because the conversation is about to change a little bit with Jesus. Verse 13, he says this, But woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And so he kind of changes the conversation here, and we move from addressing the crowd as a whole, and we move uh, to addressing specifically the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus says, okay, we've been talking kind of big picture here, but look, I'm going to look you in the eye right now, me and you right here. We need to talk about these lies. We need to talk about this, this, this standard, the status quo that you've been setting, that you've been trying to live. We need to talk about this right now. He says, woe to you. And throughout this chapter, he's going to say this a total of seven times, the same statement, but woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. This word woe here is a, it's an expression of sorrow. It's an expression of grief. And so what he's saying here in every one of these statements, he says, listen, I know that, that you're living this life based on authority. I know that you're living this life based on, on influence. I know that, that you think this authority and this influence and this, this weight that you carry, I know that you think, man, that's going to take you to a place in life that you want. It's going to take you to a place where, where you finally are fulfilled in life or where you finally have that, that craving, that desire met in you. He says, but the reality is you need to know this. Like, I'm telling you this because I love you. Even though we don't agree, I love you. I'm telling you that it's not going to lead you to that place of of fulfillment and satisfaction. No, it's going to lead you to a place of grief and a place of sorrow. It's not going to take you to the joy that you're hoping, 
Man, it's going to take you to a place where you, you, you crack and you, you're crushed under the weight of the pressure that the culture and the world is placing on you. Which, by the way, I'm really excited. Next week, we're going to start a new series called Under Pressure. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what it looks like to live a life under the weight of pressure that so many of us just, just constantly pile on. And so, man, if that's you, if you're feeling that weight of pressure, make sure you, you come back next week because, because God's got a great word for us, all right? But skip down. I wish we could read through all of these because all of them have, have a great piece of truth for us, all right? But I want to show you one. I'm going to show you one in particular. So we're going to kind of hang out today. Verse 27, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, it says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, grief and sorrow to you, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And in case you don't get that metaphor, he clears it up. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hey, look, great job. You look righteous. That's what you're going for, right? You look like you have life together. Well done. You made it to church. Kids got all their hair combed over. Everybody's got the collar on. Everybody's looking good. You finished the fight in the car, so you weren't fighting when you made it into the room. Right? Like, great, you're doing good. Man, people watch you pull up. And they're like, man, this dude's got his life together. Got the good job. Got the good car. Man, and you know, like people are looking at you thinking, golly, man, I wish, I wish I had that life. Man, I wish I had it together like that guy, like that girl, like that family. Man, you did it. Well done. You look righteous. But Jesus says, you know it ain't real. It's just a painting on the outside. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. And listen, for a lot of us, like understand that a tomb isn't like a gravestone that we see. No, no, for them, a tomb would have been like built up out of the ground. It probably would have been like carved out of a hill or out of a rock. It would have been very evident that this thing was as ugly on the outside as the decay that it held on the inside. And Jesus says, you have done nothing but paint up that death place. You've done nothing but put on makeup, put on paint, cover up that thing that is holding that ugliness. You look great on the outside, great job, but the reality is you're hollow and you're empty. Man, everybody's looking around thinking, man, like, golly, I wish I had that life. Yeah, do you though? Because maybe, maybe it's just a pretty facade. Maybe it's just a pretty painting and the reality is what's on the inside is no, there's no life-giving substance to be found. I'll make a little confession right here, okay? Take a little deep breath for a second. I'll soften up a little bit. Halloween, Halloween is a blast for me, okay? Just be honest with you, I love it. Love the Halloween. We have a whole lot of fun with Halloween, okay? At our house, it's a really big deal, and you might not agree with me on that, but, it, but it's okay. It just, it just is what it is for us. And, and a little bit of it is context for us, okay? And what I mean by that is Halloween's a really, really, really big deal in our neighborhood, okay? Like, for example, uh, on Halloween, on a normal trick-or-treating night, we will hand out candy to at least 1,000 kids, and that's not an exaggeration, 1,000 kids in the span of two hours. Like, it's just absolutely insane what happens. And so we have a lot of fun with it. We'll do some unconventional things. Like, one year we dressed 
dressed up as uh, um, the greatest showman and we put some different games in the yard. One year we, we dressed up as Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus and we get talking about messing some kids up and gave out candy from a red paper sack. Like it's a lot of fun. And, and listen, like, like again, I know there's some like taboo connections right there. I really, I, I get it, I understand. But the reality is for us, just so you kind of understand our brain space and where I'm coming from on this, like we see it as an opportunity. If there's gonna be literally a thousand families walking down my street in the span of two hours, then we see it as an opportunity to not like run from the darkness and run from the scary things, but instead to push back against it, right? To push against the darkness and push against culture and push against the status quo and and use it for opportunities, gospel-centered, God-honoring opportunities, right? And I I tell you this, just so you understand, because, and listen, like I'm not trying to, if if you disagree with me on this, again, like I love you, I promise I do, and and, and like we we can disagree and still love each other, but just just honestly, like I don't see this moment, like kids running around my street dressed up and and play and pretend, like I don't see this moment as like satanic or demonic or dark, like I just, I don't get that perspective. What I do see, though, I'll tell you this, what I do see is satanic, what I do see is demonic, what I do see as of the enemy is the lies that so many of us regularly live out. A culture of lies that so many of us have so readily accepted and continue to pursue. Like somewhere along the way, here's what I mean, somewhere along the way, like we have quit playing pretend as kids, dressing up as costumes, and we started just completely living out a lie. And like, come on, man, are you really gonna make Halloween like that? Yeah, I really am. Like what I mean is like you might not wear masks and costumes and makeup all the time, but, but do we not do a lot of hiding? I mean, do we not do things like we hide our insecurities behind authority? Walking around with our chest puffed out. I'm the king, that king energy. I'm the boss, I'll run the household. Don't you dare question me because I'm already questioning myself too much. Do we not do things like we hide our pain behind happiness? Walking around here, people checking on us, yeah, man, I'm living the dream. Like, no, you're not. You're absolutely not. Like, you're, you're dying on the inside. Let's just be honest here. You're hurting. I mean, there's so much pain and there's so much heartache in there. And listen, like, you need to talk about that stuff. You need to address that stuff. Man, God has gifted some incredible people to help you work through that stuff. Like, you don't have to, to cover that up and fake that and paint that. And you can be real with that. We do things like we hide our, our, our um, fears behind success. We, we hide our, our doubt behind knowledge. Here's a big one. We hide our faith behind religion. Come to church. I come to church more than twice this month. Go to house church. I brought food for a house church. I serve, not only do I serve, I serve with the kids, right? And we, like we do all these things like, yeah, super Christian over here, right? Man, I check off all these religious boxes, but the reality is when we get past that, that facade and we get past that, that, that pain and into that hollow emptiness, the reality is what we find is that, man, I haven't opened my Bible in a year. I don't have a clue what it looks like to have a prayer life. I couldn't even begin to tell you how to lead my kids in understanding and engaging in Scripture. Hollow, empty, void, without purpose, without meaning. That's where so many of us find ourselves. And what's terrifying to me is not, it's not a bunch of teenagers running around in squid game costumes acting a fool. Like what's really scary to me is the fact that so many of us have been hiding for so long, we've totally lost ourselves. We don't even know what's true anymore. We've worn the mask and we've worn the makeup for so long, it's just become a reality for us. When I think about 
Jesus's words here in Matthew chapter 23, I think about the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul, who, by the way, was a Pharisee. He was trained as a Pharisee. And so Paul, the man who wrote half of the New Testament, this man was literally one of the whitewashed tombs that Jesus was talking about. And the, the Paul said, Paul, Paul had an incredible moment in his life. His, his life was radically changed. Jesus did some incredible stuff in his life. And this man who, who persecuted the church, who hated the church, became one of the greatest proponents of the church, planting churches and leading people to know, love, and follow Jesus around the world, right? And the, much of the New Testament is Paul's letters to those churches. He writes Ephesians chapter 2. He, he says that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, dead, hollow, empty, without life because of our sin, because of our trespasses. And it's not because like we're just, we're just awful people who have no hope, right? But because we are born into sin. That's the message of the gospel. We're, we're born into sin. We're born selfish and we're born prideful. And listen, if you don't believe me on that, like pay attention next time you're around a baby or a toddler, like selfish, right? Prideful. We're, we're born into that. And because we're born into that, man, we are, we are separated from our heavenly father. This sin drives a wedge in between us and our heavenly father who is the creator and sustainer of life. So it separates us from life itself. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses. But Paul goes on to say just a couple of verses later, Ephesians chapter two, verse five, he says, but God being rich in mercy and being rich in grace has made us alive together with Christ. How, do we, how does what's dead become alive? By, by reconnecting with the source of life with God the father himself. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, I will not leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. But instead, I'm going to give you my spirit. The, the, the heavenly father, God the father is going to send his very presence, the Holy Spirit, to dwell among those that follow him. The word he uses is tabernacle, to live with those that follow him. And so listen, don't miss this metaphor, okay? Because it's one of the most beautiful pictures throughout scripture. Is that what we see is that, man, to follow Jesus, to be renewed, to be redeemed by Jesus, Jesus literally moves us from tombs to temples. He literally takes us from a place of death, a place of holding nothing, nothing good, nothing life-sustaining, nothing but dead bones. He moves us to a place of, of being a holding place, the very presence of God himself, the temple of the living God. That's you if you follow him. Like, this is a beautiful picture there's a story, uh, it's just a couple of chapters earlier from what we read in chapter 23. It's back in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus goes, his, him and his disciples go into Jerusalem and they enter the, the brick and mortar temple, the physical building that, that the Jews use to worship God. And they go in and they see that there's these people that are, that are using the temple for selfish and for prideful gain. And so Jesus, talking about a bold and passionate Jesus, he goes in and starts flipping tables. And then he makes a whip. Like, I don't even know how you do that in the moment, but he, he literally makes a whip and starts driving people out of the temple. Here's what I want you to see in that is, that, is that when Jesus moves us from tombs to temples, when he takes the dead, empty, hollow places in our life and he fills them with new life, when he fills them with the Spirit, he doesn't do so by adding things on top of, by adding standards and expectations on top of. He does so by driving out what is dead. And so your fears and your insecurities and your failures and your flaws and all of that stuff that we hide in the hollow, empty, dark corners of our life, Jesus redeems that. He drives what's dead out. We don't have to hide it anymore. We don't have to hide it from him. And he brings about life. And so here's what I want to give you real quick, okay? I want to give you four things, four ways to kind of step out of hiding, if you will. 
to remove the makeup, to remove the mask, to remove the pretty paint and the facade, to get beyond that, to experience the life that God has for us. Here's the first thing. Will you listen to God's correction? Listen to God's correction. Now listen to me. There's a voice right now. And a lot of you, there's this, you can call it a voice, you can call it a conscience, I really don't care what you call it, but there's this tug in your spirit right now that's beginning to highlight some of this. Yeah, that habit, yeah, that addiction, yeah, that relationship, that's not bringing life to you, that's not fulfilling, that's not satisfying, and you know it's not. That's what's bringing about that death, that's what's bringing about that hollow, that empty inside of you, we've got to get rid of that. We've got to drive that out. There's something better in store for you. Now, there's also a voice that's probably a lot louder in this moment for you. That's much more demeaning. It's much more condemning. There's a voice that's telling you right now, see, I told you they would find out. I told you somebody was going to know. Man, if you confess that right now, nobody's going to trust you. You kidding me? You can't say that. What do your kids think? What do your wife think? You can't. Man, you'll, you won't recover from this. I've told you, you gotta bury that. Listen to me, that is not the voice of your heavenly father. Not the voice of the father that calls you a son, that calls you a daughter. Scripture says that it is the enemy that is the accuser, not God. God is not an accuser. Romans chapter eight says that there is therefore now no condemnation in those that follow Jesus. That voice of condemnation, that voice of accusation, that is the voice of the enemy, not the voice of your heavenly father. Because God's correction sounds much more like an opportunity to change, a call to change, a chance to change. That's what God's calling you into. A chance, an opportunity, a calling to say there's something better. There's a fuller, more complete life that I'm calling you into. Here's the second thing. Will you accept God's mercy? And here's the reason I say it this way, okay? is because if we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, as Paul said, if we are tombs, like Jesus said, empty tombs. And we've got to understand that a dead person, a holding place of death, that we have no opportunity, no way to bring about life in and of ourselves outside of some outside intervention, right? And that outside intervention, that's God's mercy. That's God's grace coming in and doing a work that you cannot do. Listen to me, this is not about your willpower. It's not. You could be the strongest person in this room. You could have the greatest amount of willpower to walk out of here and change everything. It's not what this is about. Because you cannot bring about life in and of yourself. That has to come from somewhere else. And that's coming from your heavenly father who so desperately wants to fill you with his presence, with the spirit. So will you, can you just admit that you're too weak to do this? You're like, weak? Really? Yeah, really. Because God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that point and that place where we can come to and say, God, I just, I can't do it anymore. That, that's the place. That's the place where we find renewal and strength like we could never imagine. Here's the third thing. Will you obey God's authority? And I'm gonna be honest with you, I started to kind of soften this language a little bit because we don't like words like obedience. We don't like words like authority. Our culture has made that a very bad tone, a very bad connotation. But listen, I, just honestly here, I, I've watched too many people be hurt by soft faith that I'm just, I'm, I'm unwilling to leave any question mark in your mind about what it looks like to follow Jesus, okay? And just so me and you are clear, what it looks like to follow Jesus is obedience, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. 
He told us, hey, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. To follow Jesus has always been about obedience and it always will be. But understand, it's not obedience for the sake of being blind rule followers. It's not obedience for the sake of being sheep who don't ask questions, right? Like that's not what he's calling us into. That's not the obedience that he's calling us into. He's calling us into obedience of a good life. Listen, there is no social media follower or no social media influencer that has a perspective on what a fool and good life looks like better than your heavenly father. They don't know it. And so all the things they promise you how it's gonna turn out, they don't know. They don't have a stinking clue. But you have a heavenly father who created you, who created life, who sustains life, who says, I've got something better. I'm calling you into something better. There's a story, a literal, physical representation of what we're talking about, where Jesus raises a dead man from the grave, his friend, Lazarus. Lazarus, his friend, was, was in the tomb, was dead. And so Jesus goes and he, he rolls the, the stone away. He says, I'm gonna tell you, Lazarus is gonna come back to life. And then he shouts a command to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And in a step of obedience, Lazarus steps into life. In the same way, you will never be able to step into life without a step of obedience. You will never be able to shake off the grave clothes that you have been bound in without a step of obedience towards your Savior. And here's the last thing. Will you begin to share God's glory? This is where the places in your life that have been dead, been full of dead bones, begin to produce life not only in you, but through you. And that's always ultimately been the purpose, right? To go and make disciples, right? Your story has always meant to be shared. The broken places, those, those ugly places, that hollow life that, that God refills, that God fills with his, his presence, with his spirit, man, that's, that's a story that's always meant to be shared. And so what I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to do whatever, I mean, will you invest well in some people, just a couple of people, two people, three people, and begin to build some biblical friendships. Find some people that will invest well in you. I mean, will you begin to point these things out? Will you begin to share this journey? I'm not saying you gotta be perfect, because none of us are. But man, we can share in the journey together. Will you find some people that you can come around with, that, that can come around you, and man, y'all can, you can walk together in what it looks like to follow in obedience to God. You can talk about what God's doing in your life. You can talk about the, the places of conviction and the places of challenge, but the places of growth and the places of life. Listen, please, whatever the step, whatever the story is, man, it, that, that sense of hollow, that sense of empty, that sense of pressure that you might be dealing with today, man, please don't walk away without allowing your heavenly Father to speak and to fill that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come before you, God. We thank you. We praise you for life, for a life abundant, for a full life that you promise us, a, a life full of joy and peace and comfort. God, for the, the broken, the hurting, the, the fears, the flaws, the failures that we hide, God, I pray that you will highlight them, not not for condemnation, but for correction, for love, for grace. And God, that we'll see that in you. God, I pray that you will challenge us, God, that you will strengthen us to share your glory with our friends, with, with our family, with the people we're around every single day, God, that we will be a light for you, an example 
of your goodness and your grace. God, we love you and we praise you. All things we ask in your name. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.